persons you're listening to, No Names, All Game. All right, guys, welcome back to No Names, All Game, your go-to Penn State football fan podcast. I've said it before. I'm sure some of our listeners are sick of hearing it, but I'm going to say at the top of every episode for anyone who's new, we are not journalists. We are not experts. We're not even pros. We're fans. We're a couple of guys who love talking Penn State football. We love talking about it with you guys, and we love talking about it with each other. And joining me, as usual, is my co-host, Sweens. Dan, how are you doing today, buddy? No, it's really easy to be a fan on weeks like this, Pat. It is. Yes. Uh, it's great to be a fan every week, but it's easy to be a fan this week. And I think sometimes there's a there's a difference. We're always going to be fans, but some of those weeks it's easier than others. And this one particularly, very easy to be a fan of Penn State football. Glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, tough to complain about a 63 to nothing blowout. Um, second shutout of the year for Penn State. Um, I saw a stat. One of the guys over at BWI posted that Penn State hasn't let up a point at Beaver Stadium in 11 consecutive quarters since that big touchdown run at Delaware that I think happened in the first or second quarter. That's that's pretty crazy, man. This defense is just something really fun to watch right now. Yeah, who would have thought uh, Delaware would be would be the last yeah. one out of the I, I guess these three teams in general? You would have guessed Iowa, right? Would have been the last one to put up points. Um, but but that's a that's a pretty interesting stat. And uh, yeah, we dive into it a little bit. But needless to say, I don't think this team overlooked UMass. I don't think this team had on the uh, the shaped glasses of the horseshoe in any way shape or form and i think they uh they came out with a very uh a very good intent on on making it one or no this week no absolutely and as much as you would think that it was iowa who would put up the points between those three iowa actually had the least yards of all three <laughs> of those teams failing to break 100 so tough tough one for those guys over there in the black and gold um but I mean, big big highlights today were the the punt or on Saturday with the punt returns from Daquan Hardy. He's a guy who got a bit of a shot at it last year, and I think fumbled a punt and didn't really get totally trust with that again. But explodes back onto the scene, showing what he can do. Um, defense is dominant again, allowing only 109 yards, and a good chunk of that was with you know some backups in and. Yeah, we, we got to get a good look at some depth today. The passing game looked, you know, I would say good. It didn't really require anything incredible, but we saw a couple of chunk plays and some good, you know, downfield throws in sloppy conditions from Drew. Yeah, I think that's the other side of it is that the weather was awful in this one. Um, I mean, you could you could see it based on just the fan base that we had there, right? I mean, UMass isn't necessarily putting butts in seats, but if that's a bright sunny day, 65 degrees at Happy Valley, it's a much different crowd. And I think this was a combination of doing what they had to do, playing again, as we as we kind of talked in the preview, a lot of short fields, which we expected um, just from pinning them so deep and constantly just having them on their back heels from the UMass side. So really just finding the seams where it needed to happen. Really nice touchdown with Theo Johnson, um, just kind of picking his plays. And, and honestly, 
uh, just a lot of chunk plays coming on all sides. Maybe nothing that was massive, uh, which which we can always jump back into at some point or another about explosive plays. But, you know, with two punt return touchdowns, your offense uh, doesn't really need that yet again. Um, you know, and I didn't think UMass would be the team to prove us wrong, but we continuously are seeing that it's effective in terms of where are they finding their holes? They're converting third downs. They're not getting into negative situations. It's just a really, really positive game script. Um, and this one, even even though they had been kind of a slow first half, explosive second half team, 28 to 0 at, at halftime makes you very comfortable um, that the team was in complete control and, and was just doing everything they had to and needed to to make sure that this was never even in question. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly not the team that can score as quickly as some of the teams we've seen in the past, as explosively. But they do stay on schedule much better than I think any team we've seen under James Franklin, where the big complaint had always been like, yeah, the the playmaking ability is there, but can't we just be more consistent? (laughs) Yeah, well, the, the cool thing is for this type of offense, it doesn't matter if you shut down a singular person on this team. Say that Keandre Lambert-Smith has a bad game. You might get both our tight ends involved. Harrison Wallace gets involved. And then all of a sudden, the backs are catching five or six passes out of the backfield. And the passing game is still moving down the field. And there is a nuance to that 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 makes them a little bit harder to stop because of the balance, because of the way that they're calling plays, because of the formations. And it's going to be a really interesting uh, uh, matchup as, you know, when we dive into what that's going to look like in in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I I thought one of the cool things about watching this game was obviously the 63 nothing blowout. But this was one where, you know, that defense in particular, the defensive line. It actually looked like UMass didn't belong in the same field as them. You know, there's a lot of times where I think some of the fan complaints coming out of the game was like, it didn't look like we were just dominating a game. Everything about that looked like these are not two teams that should be playing each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you feel like when you, uh, when you get on a, on the field with a team that shouldn't belong and then you see them break off, you know, it's a third and 10 and we let up a first down or, just those those little moments, even if they don't score, even if it ends up being a punt, when you see those things happen and you see lapses like that, it's either mental or it feels like one of their guys, even if it was their only good player, beat two or three of our guys, there's still this, this breathe and this sigh of it's like, ah, oh, I just I hate seeing that happen on the field. And it's just it's been such a complete domination with the way that this defense has game in and game out dominated the line they've dominated one-on-one matchups and they've just become a really really great unit all the way through from the front seven all the way back and and rotational players playing meaningful snaps early on in games and it's great to see the depth continue to build every single game yeah yeah and um let's get into this game a little bit um, I, we're not going to cover too much of it for you guys because of the nature of what it was, the blowout, the stark difference in talent levels. And let's be honest, we've all been looking forward to Ohio State for the past <laughs> like three to four weeks. So what we're going to do today is give a pretty brief preview of UMass and then hop into a comparison of Ohio State's defense against Penn State's offense. But 
the game was played this week. Penn State went 1-0. and And so someone on this team deserves to be a lion for the week. Sweens, who is your lion? Yeah, we, we mentioned it earlier, but I, I just feel like it has to go to Daquan Hardy this week. Uh, I think he set a, a Penn State record with two punt return touchdowns in a single game. Um, and that also matched the first time it's been done, I think, in the Big Ten since 2013. Um, it's not something you see that often. And honestly, it's also one of those things where um, even in a game where teams are outmatched, sometimes special teams are weird equalizers. And and it doesn't always mean that your special teams will dominate, even when your offense and defense dominate. But the returns were just it was great blocking. He had tons of space to maneuver. You saw him see the field really well. And I mean, they were I think one, he had to break a couple of tackles. The second one, I think he went almost untouched. And it was really cool to see him, uh, you know, back in that role and seeing his vision. Plus, he's got great speed in the open field, which, uh, you know, D-backs obviously usually have good speed, but rarely do you get to see that put on display just because of the nature of the way that they're playing out there. Um, But, yeah, really cool to see that generated to what we would definitely call explosive plays. Um, And you now put that on film and... It's just one more thing that the other team has to now think about and look at. And that can affect the way that they punt their formations, the the style in which they they will do their special teams, knowing you have a dangerous guy back there who now yeah, a little bit of confidence feeling like, hey, I could break one at any point in time. You have to change the way that you you address that um, from the opposing team, which is great. Yeah, I, I don't care how bad the other team is. Punt return touchdowns are pretty rare in this game mm-hmm. and to have two. I mean, it's the first time it's happened in program history. And how many times yeah. has Penn State been hands down better <laughs> than the other team on the field? It's, it's you know, right. it's a pretty incredible thing. And I, I think that's a great point about what it puts on film for Ohio State and that it, in a way, changes punts from like kind of a formality to something, hey, we got to focus on this next week in practice. You know, mm-hmm. it, it might be a 2% difference and the difference on what they have to do at practice normally versus now. But man, this is a game that exists within the margins. 2% can mean everything in, in a game like this, where these teams seem very even so far. And when, you know, when you're at the highest level of this sport, so that, that is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my line for the game is going to be Theo Johnson. Uh, this is a guy. I think a lot of people coming into the season, were expecting really big stats from, a lot of big expectations for him, and it hasn't been like that for a lot of the season. But he he had a great game uh, against UMass with four catches, 66 yards, and two touchdowns, including the big dive into the end zone on the second one. Uh, man, th- this guy's an important weapon. You know, you haven't seen Drew really want to use kind of deep middle of the field a lot this season. And for him to, you know, maybe gain a little bit of – more trust and just like a little bit more of that relationship in a game like this, I think can be really big moving forward, going down the line that again, teams are now going to have to think a little bit more about what the middle of the field and the middle of the field deep is going to be like with Theo Johnson on that field. Yeah. He, he had, he had an arguably the best day uh, as a receiver that we've had in a, in a few games um, outside of Keandre Lambert Smith, probably uh, here and there. And it was it was great to see reliable hands was finding the space really well. Um, And again, it's great to see a big target get the ball right on the money in space, because 
not that many DBs want to line up a straightforward shot on a guy as big as Theo Johnson. And so even a safety who's going to come up is probably still going to give up an extra couple of yards after the catch. And Johnson's shown that he can he can pull in those receptions. And then even if it's another five or 10 yards, those are big, you know, yak um, for, for a tight end and for a guy that Aller, I think, has gotten more comfortable with. Uh, over the course of the season. And it's just cool to see that when other guys, uh, you know, maybe weren't finding space or, or having trouble getting open. Um, we can talk a little bit about the ride receivers, but he was, he was finding it everywhere. Uh, it felt like in the game comparatively. Um, so yeah, great, great outing by him uh, from, from the offensive side and in the passing game. And then, you know, was there anything about this game that surprised you this week? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of reversing back on exactly what we just talked about. Um, again, only, uh, I believe, five of our players caught a pass this game. Um, and we've had games where we've had eight, nine, ten different guys um, catch passes, and those were in closer games, uh, less comfortable games than this one. And as much as the offense did shift into a, you know, kill the clock, let's continue to run it type of offense, um, still just stands out that, we didn't have a few more guys contributing from the wide receiving core, uh, Cephas or or uh, Clifford and, and other guys who are getting on the field. They're getting opportunities. They're getting route participation. Um, and, you know, when you go and break it down, some of it could just be that there were just easier openings. And, and Aller just found Theo Johnson a lot easier than some of these other guys on routes. And they might have been open, but it still sometimes feels like they're not winning one on one matchups. Um, UMass sent some pressure here and there because they were just trying to make something happen early on, which means the guys were matched up one-on-one and it just, it didn't always feel like they were winning outright those matchups. And you talked about the defense making UMass look like they didn't belong on the same field. And as much as the PSU offense played well, and obviously, you know, the score is reflective of that, but generally speaking, you didn't sit back and say, wow, he just dominated him one-on-one and that's what happened. Um, and so you just, we're, we're still in that waiting for someone else to step up into that true complimentary number two wide receiver role. I think a lot of people wanted Harrison Wallace to do that. And uh, not that he didn't have that great catch, but if it was followed by a fumble. You saw some rust getting, getting pulled off. Um, but you just, you want to feel that Aller has that guy that if they, if they one-on-one key Andre Lambert-Smith and then they maybe roll a safety, that you got another guy on the sideline one-on-one and he's going to trust him. And I don't know that he's there yet. Um, and it's it's nice to have. It's not necessarily needed. And it obviously wasn't needed in this game. But that's something you look out for and you see another guy step up um, and have five or six catches for 80, 100 yards and feel like, wow, okay, that guy can step up when he needs to. Um, didn't quite see that yet. Yeah, I think that's a definite worry moving forward. Um in that we just don't seem to have that guy who, if it's third down and, you know, whether it's 10, third and 10, third and seven, or even third and three, they're like, yeah, he's going to be open. Um, In the past, you had guys like Godwin, who you felt like was always going to be open. Um, Jahan, who e- either he was going to be open or he was going to make himself be open because no one was stopping him from catching the ball. Same thing with like Allen Robinson. Um, and I, as good as guys like Keandre have been, you know, he's not generally a high volume target guy. I think you've seen Tyler Warren be very dependable in the red zone, but you know, Mm -hmm. he's not racking up six catches a game either. Um, Same thing with Theo Johnson. He's 
a reliable target, but, you know, is not exactly racking up the receptions. And that, you know, that is going to be something we probably need moving forward. If this team wants to be great. Um, Similarly, I kind of felt the same about the run game where, you know, certainly no complaints. It wasn't bad by any means. Um, Nick averaged, you know, something in the realm of five yards a carry Katron, a few less yards, but more per carry. But, you know, you, you saw a long of 10 and 18 from the two starting running backs. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and complain about a 63 to nothing win with 246 yards on the ground. But you there is this feeling that like, man, we're six games into the season. We're waiting for like a big run from one of our starting running backs. I don't I don't think any of us would have predicted that coming into this season. Yeah, and uh, you you had a laundry list of every single long play UMass had given up on the ground and through the air coming into this. In the first drive of Penn State offense, you saw the announcers click their sheets together and announce all of the long plays and how many of them had been given up by this UMass defense and basically said if there's the any podcast. team in the really? country who could give this up, it's UMass on a day like today, especially in bad weather where it feels like run the ball, ball security type of thing. And again, it wasn't needed. It wasn't necessarily something that had to happen, but man, would it have felt good to have seen a 40, a 50 yard breakthrough. Um, I think both of us, uh, we ended up calling that there was going to be an over under on, uh, on passing and running plays. I think we both missed it, uh, unfortunately, because 30 and uh, I, I think what Bo had that 39 yard run. So that, that might've been close for you, Pat, but uh, I still think we were looking at 50 to be our benchmark Smith for some of these. 39, baby. Oh, Tank Smith had the 39. You're yeah. right. Which was, like which was great to watch. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, it, it just felt like yet again, it should have been there. It felt like the perfect team to allow a couple of these. And it almost feels like once one happens, you feel like the floodgates are going to open. Uh, like a few more will just break through because that's that's kind of how it felt at times last year. But yeah, still still just not happening. Do you think there's anything to the, the fact that oftentimes these big runs will happen late in games when a defense is worn down? And mm-hmm. Katron and Nick really aren't running the ball in the fourth quarter. Do you think is, maybe that has anything to do with it? Yeah, that that could be part of it. Um, I also think that because this offense is running the formations and the balance of plays that it is, um, you know, a lot of times you'll see big plays also happen because teams are trying to actually stack the box to stop the run. And once the player breaks past that initial first line, which a lot of times could be eight or nine players, it's only a foot race with a safety or a cornerback. And Singleton was getting a lot of those last year where they were running the T or they were running something and it just takes one hole and you're gone. Um, I think defenses are approaching the offense a little bit differently. Um, you know, maybe at first it was, Hey, we'll stop the run really and make Aller beat us. But Aller's obviously shown that that that's not going to necessarily work. And I think defenses have adjusted to that. So now you have, you know, two high safeties and a free running linebacker that to have a shot after 10 or 15 yards downfield, um, which can stop those longer runs. Uh, you see it sometimes in the NFL too, where, where teams play that type of defense and it stops longer runs, but it gashes you for 10 and 15 constantly. And that that's a killer for some teams as well. So those could all be part of it. Um, but still, man, UMass, UMass just felt like, 
they they shouldn't be able to stop long plays is almost what that defense was telling you and yet that that's where we ended up yeah yeah it, you know if, if there's anything to be disappointed about in a 63 to nothing win again that was it but do you have any final thoughts on the game overall I mean, you know, it's it's great to see a team come out from the bye week, uh, knowing that they have a huge matchup on the road the next week, not take it for granted, not come out and look slow or like they don't even want to be there. Um, they the first team knew that it was their job to get up as fast as possible and then get out of the game and get guys experience in the game, um, you know, and make that happen as mistake free as possible. Uh, you know, they had a couple of fumbles, but you kind of account that for bad weather or or a couple other things that were a little bit, but they weren't they weren't horrible. And yet Aller comes away yet again, no interceptions, um, which is just awesome to see him continuously taking care of the ball. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's hard to hard to complain anymore uh, from that. But, you know, great to see and, and glad to see the team stays focused. Didn't didn't have to make this any harder than it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Listen, let's six and 63 and nothing. Nothing's going to be perfect, guys, but except our record. Uh, but let's move forward to really what I think we're all a little more interested in and have been looking forward to more than the UMass game, and that is the Ohio State game in the Horseshoe in Columbus. Uh, Drew, you, you put together some, some pretty good notes about the recent history of this game. I'm going to let you run them down. Yeah, and and Pat, my uh, one of my my longstanding traditions is any clothing I have that have any red or anything associated with with uh, it's it's put away for the entire week, uh, starting Sunday uh, morning, usually Sunday night sometimes, but Sunday morning first thing does not make a reappearance until, depending on what the outcome of the game is later on in the uh, in the fall. Uh, that's just a tradition that I hold. I don't know how many other people do that, but I just I can't stand the look of it, uh, especially during this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wore red shorts yesterday, but that that I still counted that as the weekend. We are now in Ohio State week. Um, yeah, a little bit of red on this shirt, but it is a Bo Nickel shirt, so I'll allow it. Okay, all you right. Know, <laughs> if, if anyone has killed Ohio State more than Bo Nickel, I I'd I'd love for you guys to bring it up. <laughs> I think that's a I think that's a longstanding one that we can we can all be on on board with. Uh, and you know, Bo, he'll be plenty uh, on uh, on all social media platforms this week, chirping chirping away. Um, so yeah, let's uh, we'll break it down uh, again. This is this has become a near rivalry matchup for for Penn State. Um, both on the road and at home have been extremely close games. Uh, seven of the last eight games over eight years have been decided in the fourth quarter uh, in some capacity where there was lead changes throughout until the fourth quarter. Uh, and six of the last eight, it was decided into single digits. Um, you know, obviously this team hasn't beaten OSU since the fateful blocked field goal Grant Haley return of 2016. Um, it almost feels like that shouldn't be that long ago, but it, it was it was eight years ago. Um which is wild. Uh, and they've been an underdog against Ohio State every single year since that 2017 matchup where we went into the horseshoe at number two and undefeated uh, and lost by that one point game. We don't have to bring up all the horrible memories, but there is a lot of history uh, in this matchup in the last uh, in the last decade, really, which which makes this game even more anticipated um, as we go into this. And I just it's it's wild that it's been that close and that consistent year in, year out. 
um, you know, when you think about it, because because it feels like a matchup that obviously is pretty unfortunately one sided. But man, the the closeness and people don't remember a lot of times last year we were winning in the fourth quarter with only what? Eight minutes, minutes left? left. Yeah. Nine, yeah. Like and that. you look at the final score and that rewrites some history because of everything that went down in the last seven minutes. But I mean, this is a continuous game where we match up every single year in a way that is is right there. It, it, it really, really is. Um, so so going into this year, there's there's a lot, uh, I think, on the line in a lot of different places uh, for both sides and for both teams. But yeah, it's. I don't know if I don't know if this would be vitriolic, but there's definitely just it's charged. It feels like a charged matchup uh, and going in undefeated yet again this year with both teams. Um, just even more exciting uh, in a lot of ways, too. Yeah, I think people forget that there was a three year period there from, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, when Ohio State fans, I will never say that they cared more about the Penn State game. I will not say that, but they worried more about the Penn State game than the Michigan mm-hmm. game. That's People right. forget that because they've kind of rewritten this history that Penn State is like the third team in the division because Michigan's been better for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they forget that the, the long running joke about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan for, I don't know, the five years before that was he was the third best team in the in the conference. But, what you know, whatever, whatever. I digress. <laughs> uh, I think we're, we're going to be taking a look at OSU's defense today. Um, I, I think the, the person we got to. Well, we'll start with kind of the overall numbers. Um, mm-hmm. Ohio State favored by four and a half. As you put down here, uh, handicappers usually give about three points for home field advantage. And I I, th- I think that sounds about right. You know, Penn State hasn't won the game in, what, seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teams look pretty even right now, though, with some advantages tilting towards Penn State. Um they're essentially making Ohio State a one and a half point favorite. Over under for the game is forty seven. That actually doesn't really surprise me. Um, Ohio State's offense looks good, not great. Mm-hmm. Penn State's offense looks good against teams that are a lot less talented than them, um, but at times has looked, you know, against teams like Illinois and Northwestern, sometimes stagnant. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if this is like a 21 to 17 game, right? Yeah, I mean, you're also, if, if you look at the best defense that each of these teams has played against and what they put up, uh, you have Ohio State only put up 17 against Notre Dame. And I think Penn State's lowest score was 31, I believe, uh, against Iowa. Um, or sorry, 30 against Illinois. So right, right there. So, I mean, realistically, if you're kind of looking at best defenses slash worst offensive performances from each team that over under seems pretty reasonable considering that each of these defenses is going to be the best that either of these offenses have played, um, you know, up till this point in the season. And I think that definitely spells out a a slightly more defensive battle, um, at least in terms of scoring um, and kind of the way that the game plays out uh, that, you know, the way that Vegas sees it at least, which I think is, is interesting, but also kind of speaks to the way that each team has won uh, this season. And quite honestly. Yeah. And Ohio state's defense is interesting to me. Um, Their defensive backfield was, I think was a bit of a question mark last season. It seems better this year, but I also Mm -hmm. don't think they've been tested a whole lot. 
because they have a pretty good defensive front. Um, you know, as far as guys who are going to be bringing pressure and just like muddying things up in the middle, stopping runs, you got Tommy Eichenberg, very good linebacker, leads their team in tackles. Uh, a guy who I think still gives Penn State fans nightmares, JT Tumaloao. Uh, <laughs> three sacks so far in the year. I mean, listen, that that's not a huge number, but that's not nothing at this point in the season. And I mean, again, I, I don't ever want to hear that guy's name for the rest of my life. That's <laughs> I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, disruptive. Um, I think the sack number might be a little bit misleading just because of, uh, you know, the teams that they've played against, maybe not getting home. I, I believe his actual win rate and his pressure rate is probably much higher, um, you know, than, than that sack number might indicate. Uh, so still definitely a disruptor and a guy that they're going to have to be very conscious of. But then again, uh, you know, when we look at a one-on-one matchup, I think we'd all be uh, very confident if he was going one against, one-on-one against, um, you know, Fashanu on our end. And I, you know, I think it would be interesting to see how they move him around to have him avoid the left side of our line, to be quite honest. Yeah, I have to imagine he's going to be seeing more of Caden Wallace than Olaf Fashanu. Um yeah. You know, they have a defense like it it's it's solid. They're they're allowing, you know, not a lot of points per game here. Um do you have the their average per game? I, I mean it's it's gotta be around ten. Three, seven, ten, fourteen, seventeen, seven. I believe they are letting up right around uh 9.7 a game, which ranks them third in the country. Yeah. Um so, That's tremendous. so very good from that standpoint. Yeah. They, they have the kind of defense that seems more collaborative than like standout stats. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 10 sacks on the season, not a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, five interceptions. That, that, that's good. That's not like you're not seeing that. Going, oh, my God, that's incredible. But that, that's a good amount of interceptions through this portion of the season. Uh, but, you know, only allowing 263 yards a game. Again, that that's a that's a pretty damn good number. 154 yeah. passing, 109 rushing. Um, that that is what worries me about the most about this Ohio State defense is how is Penn State going to be able to run the ball? Yeah, um, you know it, it's a it's an interesting combination of the way they're playing a lot of their defense, which has been Ben don't break, and then their offense hopefully finding some success with their key players, and then the defense taking advantage of some mistakes. Um, it's it's definitely been impressive the way that they've they've been able to string out teams two or three quarters, not allow a ton of scoring uh, while maybe giving up a fair amount of offense um, and, and then finding ways to uh, either just overwhelm them at some point because the, they've just been on the field uh, you know, so much or it's it's just a break where the other team makes a, a bad decision, which we can highlight a little bit more in what happened in the Maryland game as kind of, I think, one of the best ways to view this Ohio State defense in terms of where are they vulnerable, but also, you know, where uh, where are they successful and what did they do to ultimately get that game into a comfortable place? Yeah, I mean, that was their worst performance defensively of the season, with 17 points and 302 yards. And let's be honest, that's not a bad performance at all. <laughs> uh, but I would say Maryland might be the best offense they've faced to this point if not Notre Dame, but Notre Dame's offense is a little up and down to me, Mm -hmm. a little iffy. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, Maryland was moving the ball pretty well, but then eventually Ohio State starts getting pressure on Talia and he turns the ball over because he's the kind of guy who does that. Um, and so I, I think they're going to get pressure at points. I think they're going to make it tough to run the ball. But the big difference there is Drew is not the kind of guy who's going to throw three interceptions in a game because he's pressing and trying to make plays. I think mm-hmm. he's perfectly fine with taking the check down with Dinkin and Duncan, this offense up and down the field, which is the one thing they've been a little vulnerable to. Uh, and I think that kind of plays into Penn state's hands. I mean, listen, getting pressure on the quarterback never plays into the offense's hands. I don't mean to say it that way, mm-hmm. but I think what they're willing to give is what Penn state and Drew Aller kind of wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. The, the balanced offensive attack is going to be really uh, I think specifically effective against this OSU defense that's willing to give up yards to try to then either get an opportunistic turnover or to lock down in the red zone, in which case, uh, you know, we've seen a bit of a turn on Penn State of finding success with Tyler Warren and, and you know, getting a few more creative plays that have resulted in a lot more scoring in the red zone. Um, and again, the PSU team can rely to an extent on their defense. If you need to take field goals, they can take field goals and be comfortable with that. I don't necessarily think Maryland wanted to do that a lot of the time. Um, and a key example is OSU had tied at 10-10 with about a minute 30 left ahead of halftime. Maryland drove 61 yards in 10 plays across that last minute 30. And they would have had at least three points, if not another touchdown, but Talia threw the ball to a receiver inbounds inside of the six-yard line, and then they couldn't get it to the line of scrimmage to spike it, and they went into halftime with no points. I mean, that's that's OSU getting away with basically getting beat all the way down the field on a hurry-up offense, very little resistance by them, and just getting really lucky that he made a boneheaded play to keep the ball inbounds instead of taking the three points which would have put Maryland up by three at halftime or possibly getting a touchdown if they had played out their, you know, their timeline correctly on that. Um, And that just feels like an area where Penn state doesn't make those type of dumb mistakes, doesn't allow themselves to, you know, to be hurt by their own decision-making. And that just makes it feel like they're vulnerable enough that as long as you're not making bad decisions, which is what Penn state showed all season, then you're going to get your yardage and you're going to get your opportunities to get three and, and of course, six, you know, when, when they can. And I just think that that does start to create a good matchup that's slightly in favor of the Penn state offense. Yeah. I mean, Maryland was, was that right? That was a tie game at half, but Maryland was up 10, nothing at one point. Up 10, nothing at one point. And they had basically shut down the OSU offense for a little while. And we're moving the ball very well against the defense early on in the game. And they, they've had a couple of other games like that where I don't remember what the score at Indiana was, but it was not like it was close at halftime, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say the you know, Ohio State was up 10 to three at half against a pretty bad Indiana team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were losing to Notre Dame at one point, I think. Because uh, yeah, they had the walk off touchdown. Right, uh, right. Where they they had basically been down a decent amount. uh for for the fourth quarter uh up until they got that last drive so again not not the typical dominant ohio state offense that you see which then allows the defense to pin their ears back 
not be on the field nearly as much and and really uh, come after the quarterback, make these big impact plays, which then allows them to run away with the game. Uh, we're just not we're not seeing that. And I think that's sort of why they've shifted to this bend, don't break, because they know they're going to be on the field longer over the course of the game. And so if you can not give up huge explosive plays, they can play well enough to maybe only give up three or wait for a mistake to happen, which against Maryland is exactly what happened to Leo with some bad interceptions across the game. One was a pick six, which brought OSU back. And the other one just kind of put a nail in the coffin and gave OSU a chance to get right back into the game. And then it was over from there as they, they kind of completely took them off their pedestal. Yeah. I, I think the big thing about this kind of matchup from Penn state's the perspective of Penn State's offense against Ohio State's defense is that we've seen Ohio State kind of let teams either be in the game or even winning the game in the first half. And this is a Penn State offense that I think is going to be pretty good at protecting a lead against Ohio mm-hmm. Ohio State's defense. Uh, they they play the type of defense, they play three safeties, like pretty much all game. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want you to take the top off the defense. Penn State doesn't really want to do that, and they're probably going to want to do it even less if they're up 10-0 in the second quarter like Maryland was. Mm-hmm. They'll just they'll hold the ball for six minutes and get a field goal. They, like, they got no problem with that because of how good Penn State's defense is. So I, that is one interesting dynamic about this game that I think could lead lean Penn State's way. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about obviously the other side of the matchup with Penn State's defense versus OSU's offense uh, on our next our next roundabout here when we when we dive into it. Uh, but it really does affect the way that both of these teams will approach this side of the ball with Penn State's offense knowing that mistake-free ball is going to give them one of the best chances to win these games, no matter what's happening, uh, you know, with effectiveness of the run game or the passing game, to be quite honest. Um, and OSU's defense feels that they've got one or two players on uh, the other side of the ball that can, yes, obviously change the course of the game at any period of time. So if they can bend, not break and keep the game close enough, that always they always feel like they have a chance to win because of you know a select few on the other side. So there's there's an interesting approach to that. And I think the Penn State approach is, is really going to be, um, you know, that that they're going to go into this environment and want to continue to play the game of we are going to take what you give us and then we're going to adapt and adjust our offense to that and we're going to find ways to to play that the whole game right this isn't going to be one amazing drive and then oh we got figured out because they solved to our offense and then it gets it gets killed right this is a full quarter by quarter four quarter game plan which allows the offense to continuously evolve and shift over to the tight ends over the middle, utilizing Theo and Warren way out in the passing game. Or, you know, you start to build your running backs back into the um, passing game, which has been really effective all season. I don't think that stops. I don't think those types of things are just going to fall off. I just think they're going to adapt across the game, which is why it is hard to stop this PSU offense for the whole game. Yes, maybe you stymie them for a quarter here and there, but it's been consistent that they eventually find the right solution to get into the red zone and start scoring points. And even a defense this good, I don't, I don't see that changing. Yeah. And so what, as far as like unit against unit for Penn state's offense against Ohio state's defense, what's the most interesting matchup to you right now? 
I think the most interesting matchup is going to be PSU wide receivers versus OSU DBs. Agreed. Um, I, I think they're, they're a, a solid unit on the OSU side. Again, like you said, last year, very, uh, they had, they had sent, I think three of their four starters to the NFL. Uh, again, they, they have produced a lot of really good players and a lot of younger guys came in. They're a little bit more experienced this year and a couple of, you know, Maryland guys were getting the better of them early. And then they started to shift into some coverage and they really locked them down. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see if, uh, you know, we start early on, like we have, with getting Keandre Lambert-Smith some screens, running some quick outs and curls to Harrison Wallace just to get that cadence going, then maybe start to attack some deeper routes across the middle, some crossing routes, um, you know, maybe take a shot. Again, like you said, they really do a lot of shifting in the midfield to prevent those long post routes, to prevent anything that's deep over the middle. Um, but yeah, those matchups are going to be interesting. I don't think they have necessarily kind of that Denzel Ward style lockdown corner this year. They have, they have some good guys, but nobody that that's like, I will not throw that the ball on that side of the field. If he's over there type of guys. Um, and that's going to be a really interesting matchup to see. Maybe, you know, maybe Clifford has a good game because they, they play a very interesting slide to their slot positions. Um, and if he's in motion a lot and he can find some, some areas he could end up with five or six receptions, you know, maybe not a ton of yardage, but like you said, that reliable kind of second and third down guy to move the chains just because of the way OSU attacks that that kind of part of the field. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. I, I'm very curious to see what kind of formations we roll out and what that what that matchup yields. Yeah, I, I like that. I agree with you there. Um, and not to say that either the Ohio State DBs or the Penn State wide receivers are bad. But I think that is kind of like a worst on worst matchup for these two units mm -hmm. as far as offense and defense goes. Right. Um, and on, on top of that, the guy who I, I think is Ohio State's best cornerback, Denzel Burke, left mm -hmm. the game with an injury during their yeah. uh, the, their game last week against Purdue. So mm -hmm. No word on whether he'll be playing in that game or not, how that'll affect things. And I, I think a very interesting stat to look at, kind of like you mentioned, like, Penn State's third receiving option. What is that going to be like? Is it going to be one catch for, you know, eight yards? Or mm -hmm. is it going to be five, six catches for, you know, 30 to 40? It's, a, right. you know, it's very, very unrealistic that it's going to be, you know, 100 yards from Liam Clifford <laughs> or Dante yeah, Cephas. Yeah, but yeah. five to six receptions for that third option, whether it's a receiver or a tight end, could be a big indicator on how this game goes. Um yeah. I think the other matchup to really watch for is going to be in the trenches, O-line versus D-line. We we don't have to mention again the things that JT Tumalau did to us last season. I think it'll be significantly better in this game because of the health of this Penn State offensive line. Mm -hmm. But their Penn State offensive line is a little banged up on the interior. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see if that interior offensive line is able to create the running lanes against a defense that's allowing just over a hundred yards a game on the ground. Um, and, you know, how much can you mitigate the amount of pressure that Ohio state is going to get against Drew? Cause it, it's not going to be none. He's not going to stand back there all day with eight seconds to throw on every play. That's, that's not going to happen against this defense. But if the sack opportunities are like only three to four times a game, instead of eight, that's a big difference for a young quarterback in his biggest 
you know, biggest game of his career and by far his biggest road start. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really going to be about how they adjust for what kind of pressure OSU starts to throw at Aller. Um, I could envision them wanting to get him off of his axis early and, and trying to say, Hey, we trust our DBs enough that we're going to really throw pressure at you. And you're going to have to either get the ball out quickly. I, I mean, we know Drew's got good athleticism, but they know he's not, he's not going to be taking off. And he's I think that exactly. And I, and I feel like they know that that means, uh, you know, keep contained for the most part, but really we're going to come out. And I, I think they're going to do a fair amount of blitzing early on to see if they can get him to get a little bit rattled or just make some sort of mistake, right? Take off that stone face that he wears and in, in pressure and, and try to shake him a little bit because um, you know, that, that could really change the tide for them in, in terms of the whole game. Cause if they let him get, you know, comfortable and let him get going, um, you know, like we said, he, he can pick you apart in the dinks and dunks and in the small pieces and the running backs. He's, he's shown that he's very accurate in that short to mid range. Um, and, and I, I think that's going to give him a lot of problems. And, uh, yeah, if that interior line can hold up, I do think that we'll, we'll run a couple of different protections to have running backs stay in and, and hold in a tight end here and there to really make sure that we're allowing for more protection than anything else. Even if that results in guys not getting open and throwing the ball out of bounds, I think we'll err on the side of that early on versus, you know, five wide and, and just let, you know, let what happens may on the pass rush come and just air it out. I don't think they're going to want to take that risk early. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see if, if OSU starts to dial it up super early. Um, and that's going to be a big result of, can they generate zero or negative yardage plays in first and second down? Um, because if we're consistently in that third and four or third and three, it's really hard to run an effective pass rush when, you know, Aller could take a three-step drop and gun it. Um, and that's going to be a big part of, can they generate those negative plays early, um, you know, based on how Penn State comes out. And I think PSU is going to use those short screens to Keandre Lambert-Smith early on to generate three, four yards of play and not get Drew into those third and longs, which that's when OSU might dial up some pressures that could hurt the interior um, and, and cause some discomfort. Yeah, I think young quarterback, you've got a veteran, you know, um, the coordinator and Larry Johnson over there. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he tries to rattle Drew in. You know, let's be honest, he hasn't been stellar on the road this year, and this is going to be the most raucous road environment he's seen by a wide margin. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to, you know, rattle him a little bit. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is in an interesting matchup. You've got an offense that maybe isn't dynamic in terms of its explosion, but is averaging over 40 points a game facing by far its toughest test on defense so far so far this season. That's only letting up about nine and a half points a game, like you mentioned, and under 300 yards a game. What are, what are your final feelings, your overall kind of, you know, feelings about this matchup of Penn State's offense versus Ohio State's defense? Yeah, I think we talked about a little bit earlier that OSU's defense is – is very opportunistic in the sense that it's wait and hold and wait and hold and then 
get that bad decision from the offense to change the tide of the game. It's what happened against Maryland. They they were able to hold pretty strong against Notre Dame uh, just because, like you said, the offense was up and down. And every other game, OSU has been able to play the long game and then find that opportunity here and there. It hasn't been a ton of turnovers, but it's been effective turnovers. And I think that's been a big key for them to continuously stay that one step ahead of whoever they're playing against. And I just think that Penn State's offensive scheme and the way that they've been so protective of the ball with Drew not making bad decisions, the running backs taking what's there and not trying to, uh, you know, obviously we talk about the explosive plays, but they're still effective on the ground and they're finding good holes and chunk plays and they're not exposing the ball. They're not, they're not, you know, throwing the ball over the place. I just feel like that is such a huge thing to see game in and game out of a lack of turnovers and bad decisions. Um, and I, I think that's really going to create a frustrating game for Ohio State because they're going to give up yardage and they're going to be looking for that opportunity. And I don't necessarily think this Penn State offense is going to give it to them. I think that's going to be frustrating. I think this offense would take over and over drives that end at the 35 or the 40 on their own. And they punt it and they say, hey, get past our defense. Good luck. We're going to play field position until something breaks. We find that gap in your offense and then we go and get three and go and get six. And I just, I don't think there's that rush of like what Maryland felt was, hey, we're winning. We have to keep going. We have to get up as much as we can because eventually we're going to give up points. Eventually something bad's going to happen was kind of the feeling that you had there um, with the way that they were playing. And with Penn State, it doesn't feel like they have to go in like that. And the offense gets to go at their own pace. And if they can put together a seven minute drive, that's great. If they get stopped at midfield, they don't have to go for fourth and six because, well, we'll never get this opportunity again. And uh, well, what happens if they score in three plays on us and we have to get it back? I just, I love that Penn state has been so consistent about smart decision-making about protecting the ball and not giving the other team that momentum swing that this offense or this defense for OSU is constantly looking for and sometimes even like depending on to ultimately win these games. Yeah, I it's a it's an interesting matchup because these are two two units that have been successful all year. But this is the first time they'll be playing against someone who's really on their level. And I think for both of them it's also going to be the first time where they are going to be forced to press to make plays. You know, you kind of mentioned mm -hmm. Ohio State's defense. There's been a little bit of an air of inevitability for them so far this yeah. season of like, you know, we're just going to stick with it and the thing will happen. It's a little right. bit the same for Penn State's offense. We're like, Penn State's defense just keeps forcing opposing defenses out on the field so that like Penn State's offense is like, listen, we'll just keep doing what we do and it's going to work. We don't have to press. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to press a little bit against Ohio State, in my opinion. You know, they can't yeah. just be play our game. Like, there's going to have to be big plays. There's going to be have to guys, be guys who step mm -hmm. up and make plays. So yeah. it's going to be, in my opinion, all about which side of the ball is the one that steps up and makes the plays when they're pressing, makes mm -hmm. the timely play, you know, either causes, you know, makes a turnover or breaks a a tackle and goes for yeah. however many yards it is. Um, yeah. But, you know, guys, I, I appreciate you coming by for this. 
combination UMass recap and Ohio State defensive preview. We'll be coming again later on this week with a preview of Ohio State's offense versus Penn State's defense. We'll also have our usual keys to victory, what to watch for, don't be surprised if, and our final predictions on the game. Uh, we went 1-0 last week. Let's go 1-0 again this week. Uh, we are. That's what it's all about, Pat. We are. <laughs>